Blitz is defined as a sudden, savage attack. It is indeed all this. The effect is sure. The premise is simple. It's a basic, primal confrontation. Man to man. No excuses are offered. None accepted. Welcome to the latest edition of Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com. Looks like a radio station. Now, here are your hosts. Lifetime Longhorn Rod Babers. Pure athlete, yeah. I transcend race, hombre. Matt Butler. I don't talk man. I back it up. And we are chock full of that, man. All right. And Jeff Howe. It's still real to me, damn it. And that's the bottom line. Because Stone Cold sets up. If you're going to blitz, come strong. But don't come at all. Coming strong with another edition of Longhorn Blitz with Horns 24-7. I am Jeff Howe. Wherever you're listening, however you're listening, we just thank you so much for being a part of this week's presentation. Big 12 Media Days in the books. The Texas High School Coaches Association Convention and Coaching School in the books. And we are now full on into the run for the Longhorns to get fall practice started during that first week of August. And we will talk about it here on today's show. Again, get this podcast anywhere you get your podcast each and every week. Just search Horns 24-7. That's Horns 247, and no dashes, no slashes, no spaces. Click that follow button. Get every episode of The Blitz, the flagship, and State of Recruiting. Whenever those podcasts drop, don't forget to leave us a five-star review. And don't forget, you can hear Longhorn Blitz each and every Tuesday night, 7 o'clock on The Horn, 1049-1019 AM, twelve sixty. Streaming on that Horn app at hornfm.com. The encore presentation, 7 o'clock on Thursday nights. We'll switch up the schedule once football season gets started, but right now that's how you can hear us on the terrestrial radio front. Also, don't forget, get over to Horns 24-7, the latest and greatest in Longhorn team news, notes, and nuggets, the best recruiting coverage in the Texas market with Mike Roach and Hudson Standish is at Horns 24-7. Get over there and check out everything we've got going on right now. Sign up for the free newsletter. You get stories in your mailbox every day. Whatever you need, we've got you covered at Horns 24-7 with the power of the 24-7 Sports Network. Now, let me bring in the rest of the team who will be alongside for this adventure. He is the master of the soundboard, the drop machine extraordinaire, our lead research analyst on Longhorn Blitz, and a daily fantasy guru. He is Matt Butler. Yes, sir. How are you? I'm good. You know, Big 12 Media Days, uh, I've said this on my show, on Light the Tower. I think I've said it here. I think I've said it at Horns 24-7. Big 12 Media Days, to me, is a necessary evil. Like, it's just so much information that's coming at you in one day. It's hard to piece it out. Coaching school for me, I, I get more out of that than I do Big Twelve Media Days because uh, mm-hmm. it, it's more of what I want. Like I, I kind of got tired head over realignment and all this other stuff. I just want to talk at this time of year. I just want to talk ball. Just sit down and talk ball. That's all I want. Uh, the third member of our team, he can always sit down and talk ball. Uh, he's a Renaissance man, but for the purposes of this show, he is our lockdown corner here on Longhorn Blitz. Lifetime Longhorn, two thousand two UT All American, two thousand two semifinalist. For the Jim Thorpe Award, fourth-round draft choice of the New York Giants back in 2003, spent his NFL career with the Giants, Lions, Bears, Bucks, Broncos, and a year with the Hamilton Tiger Cats of the CFL. When he was done with football, he got himself back to Austin, Texas, and the 40 Acres, where he earned his degree. Whenever that T-ring comes back in, we will make sure he wears it proudly. Nevertheless, he's a card-carrying member of DBU, and when you get that All-American honor recognized by the NCAA, they make sure you get one of those black cards. Number 21 in your program, number one in your hearts, Mr. Rod Babers. Thank you for the intro, brother. I appreciate that, as always. Rod, I need to apologize because uh, I used part of your intro to introduce Roshan Johnson in an interview I did with him at Big 12 Media Days on Light the Tower. I did say, number two in your program, number one in your hearts. But I think Roshan's Roshan's drifting. We talked about it last week with him. And he, uh, typical Roshan fashion, like he didn't take credit for 
the workouts. He's like, oh, it's a team dude. Everybody's got to be on the same page. Everybody he acted like a leader. Uh, Roshan's, Roshan's venturing into that Fozzie Whitaker, uh, Major Applewhite, like cult hero kind of status on the 40. Yeah. Roshan's getting into that territory. Yeah. And we've gotten a lot of thoughts and opinions from Roshan Johnson. Rod, I know you had an interview with B. John Robinson on your show on Ball Don't Lie, 3 to 7, with Rod B. and Mike Harge each and every weekday on the horn. You guys talked to B. John. You had the kind of hybrid interview with uh, Sark where you got to ask Sark a couple of questions. Uh, Craig Way and I got a one-on-one with Sark at coaching school, so we've heard – I appreciate that. We've heard a lot from the head coach, heard a lot from the players – Rod, I'll just start with you. As we kind of get into, we get away from talking kind of abstract things and big picture, and we really, I know we get granular on this podcast, but we're really starting to do it now, now that we, we're getting down to the nitty-gritty. Anything you heard that really jumped out at you or has changed your opinion on this team? What's something you heard that you've really gravitated towards? Of all the audio we've heard in the last week. Someone asked him about Gary Patterson, and at the end, uh, toward the tail end of it, he's talking about all the great things Gary Patterson brings to the table. And then he also uh, talks about Gary Patterson helping him with adjustments. And it just kind of piqued my interest. Mm-hmm. And I've also heard him in kind of some of the separate breakout sessions. He talks about how Gary Patterson's helping him actually critiquing the offense a little bit. You were big on that. Yeah. One of my big things was I would like him, you know, Gary Patterson to help kind of reverse engineer some of Sark's game plans. I believe Sark's one of his biggest issues is he, you know, he wins the battle of game plan and preparation, but often loses the battle of adjustments, um, and he doesn't really anticipate adjustments really well, which affects his ability to to come up with really creative counters to those adjustments. Which is why when he goes up against really good coaches, coaches who win like sixty percent of their games, he has a really poor record. Like I mean, like things like wins like ten of his games against really good coaches, because really good coaches are problem solvers. And they have a half of football pretty much to figure out how you're trying to exploit them and how you're trying to, to beat them, your game plan, your preparation, break it down, diagnose it. Once they do that, they come up with adjustments. And then Sark's left with the Sark face we see on the sideline, which is, I have no answers. Mm-hmm. Remember the Sark face. We've seen it several times. So that's one of the things that really stood out to me that because I, I think that should be Gary Patterson's role as a special assistant, helping him come up with, you know, anticipating adjustments and helping him conjure up these uh, creative counters that he can have once his opponents, once his really good coaches that he's going up against in the Big 12, once they start to figure out exactly how his game plan and preparation is trying to exploit them, and then they come up with the adjustment. That's the chess match within the game. That's what Sark's got to be better at as a coach if he's going to evolve into being a championship level. Yeah, and overall, whenever you heard him talk about it, it was more along the lines that uh, he wanted Patterson to point out the flaws that, like, not necessarily were things that Sark is noticing. So whenever that's the case and it comes in, it's good to be able to admit on the front end if you're a coach that it's something that you didn't necessarily notice and you need somebody to have another set of eyes that you trust that it can come in and do those things. He said he doesn't necessarily, he didn't necessarily like it at first. He said, but he liked people that are a thorn in his side. And he described him kind of as, a, I guess, a, a complimentary thorn in his side. Yeah. That's like, hey, coach, 
you know, if I was, if I, you, you know, if you did that concept against me, I would just put this player here or I would use this alignment or this scheme up against it. Uh, so the way for you to counter that would be this mm-hmm. suggestions along those lines. Cause that's what I think is Sark's next step in his evolutionary process to be a great coach. Yeah. I, you know, I, the, the interview that Craig and I did with him at coaching school, I, I finally got him on the record cause I, I've been so intrigued cause he's kind of dropped little nuggets here and there. He wouldn't go into it at the signing day press conference when he was. I asked him. I said, well, "Who do you study?" You know, in the off season, mm-hmm. and he's like, "Well, I study different play callers." Yeah. And then we heard he was going out to visit Sean, to visit with Sean McVay yep. at the end of May. And now, now I've learned from talking to different people that Sark really looks at that Mike Shan- the guys on the Mike Shanahan coaching tree: Sean McVay, Kyle Shanahan, Mike McDaniel is in that group. Matt Lafleur is in that group. That's kind of the group he looks at as like these guys are on the cutting edge. So I, I finally asked him. I said, you know what? Why do you, why that group of all the the offensive kind of pods you have of, off of coaching trees? Why that group? And he said, he said, you know, I can watch the tape and see what they're doing. He said, when I go meet with Sean McVay, he said, I want to know why. Why are you call why when you call this play? Why are you calling it using this personnel grouping? Why did you decide to use a shift here? Really getting granular with how those guys think, and then he just mentioned he lo- just loves the evolution. He said, "If you really look at what all those guys do, he said it's it's the root. Of, and it's kind of Matt and I were talking about it right before you got here. It's almost like the Mike Shanahan zone scheme for the NFL. It's kind of almost been like what the air raid is in college football. That's what it's for, for the players grasping it on the field. You can trace it all back to the Mike Shanahan Denver Broncos offense, but all of those guys." have put a different spin on it. Mm-hmm. Kyle Shanahan's got his own spin, which you see some similarities to Sean McVay, yep. but Sean McVay's got his own spin on it. And we've seen Matt LaFleur in Green Bay has his own spin on it. And we'll see Mike McDaniel with the Dolphins if they have their own spin yep. on it. So he just likes the fact that that's an offensive system that they haven't said, hey, this is just the way it's always been done. This is the way we'll keep doing it. You just keep evolving it, put your own spin on it, and you never stop building on it. He just he's, He just likes the fact that it is rooted in that, but it's layered, and, and that's the group that he's kind of choosing to follow. And it makes sense because there's that overlap with him and Shannon in Atlanta. By the way, if you've got your Longhorn Blitz bingo card, go ahead and check the Kyle mm-hmm. Shanahan spot since we've already well, mentioned him in the show. An added layer to it is like when you look at the way the offenses are made and why we were using the example and the differences between back in the day when you were having somebody come in and memorize your playbook and memorize all these towards a game of memory for a lot of quarterbacks that's not necessarily – something that's conceptually taught to where everything's tied together mm-hmm. to where if you're reading the same things on the field, you might be able to be like, well, y'all didn't call that, but you changed an audible to it that quickly. And it was because everybody is seeing the same thing. And it makes it very simple if you all understand the basis of those concepts and you mm-hmm. can go up there and you just basically can have everybody be on the same page in a multitude of different ways. But it's not because they're memorizing a hundred or a thousand different plays and then knowing when to use each individual one instead it's a simplified thing and that's where like you would hear Mike Leach uh, talk about you know the concepts of the air raid or when those quarterbacks would be first getting into the league I was joking with like it'd be funny watching those quarterback camp things Gruden would do because he'd be speaking a different language and some of the kids coming in would be telling what they did but he would just be laughing it off like wow that ain't gonna last that's not how we do it up here and now we've seen that transition in a lot more conceptual based things all across all levels of football. Rod, yeah. you, you watch way more NFL film than I do, and I, I lean on you when it comes to things at that level. 
when you watch the Sark offense at Texas, how much do you see when you watch a Sean McVay? And I know, I know you study Kyle Shanahan exclusively because you guys are friends going back to your time at Texas. But when you watch a Sean McVay or a Kyle Shanahan or a Matt Lafleur, how much of that style do you see in what Sark does? Um, Sark's offense philosophically is probably more like Matt LaFleur's offense. I've said this before. It's more like Matt LaFleur's offense, just okay. me studying the offense, than any of those others. Matt LaFleur loves the RPO game, uh, loves to use a ton of pre-snap motions and shifts. Remember Devontae Adams, think about him getting open, hitting him in stride, yeah. in motion. That's something Sark uh, believes a lot in. Uh, also is big on Hey, man, you know what? If you're going to give me the run game, I'm going to take it. Hell, everybody's upset because Green Bay keeps drafting running backs and mm-hmm. won't draft receivers because Matt LaFleur's like, no, no, you give me the running game, I'm going to take the running game all day, every day, and twice on Sunday. Uh, that's what he does, even to the point where he'll use two, two tailback sets, um, actually, at times there in Green Bay. So there's a ton of that. So there's a to me, and they love the play-action game as well. So to me, philosophically, if you want to look at uh, what, Offense in the NFL just looks like Sharks and at least philosophically, schematically, conceptually lines up with it. It's probably Matt LaFleur's okay. offense. Sean McVay's offense is, I mean, Sark is about to go away from Sean McVay's offense. He may like Sean McVay's philosophy, but he's about to go away. Sean McVay was famous for a few things, right? Sean McVay loved play-action pass, so up to his play-action pass usage was through the roof, right? He, up, mm-hmm. he wanted to be up there with Shano back in the day. Also, 11 personnel strict about the rigidity of the 11 personnel. Now, every look will come from 11 personnel, but I can throw a ton of different formations out there and I can use a ton of different concepts out of the 11 personnel. Mm-hmm. And it gives mm-hmm. them the ability to control tempo. And also, that's what he liked to do, right? When Jared Goff was was first his quarterback, he had what people, some people thought was cheating. Uh, mm-hmm. He would mm-hmm. talk to Jared Goff as yeah. Jared Goff was at the line of scrimmage. Because he could talk to him for 15 seconds. seconds. Yeah, until 15 seconds were left on the play clock. So he would use that to be, you know, very up-tempo, get to the line of scrimmage, talk to his quarterback about the adjustments, and then, boom, he would know exactly what to do. Bill Belichick, being the brain that he is, decided, okay, well, until 15 seconds, I'll have a different defensive look. And then once Sean McVay stops talking to you, I'll change my defensive look with 10 seconds left on the play clock. Or at the last second, everybody will know what we're doing. Boom. And then your quarterback will be confused. And then that's when Sean McVay had the aha moment. All right, I got to get rid of this damn quarterback. That's period. It's just yeah, that simple. Yeah. I got to get a high-level quarterback that when the fit hits the sham, they can operate at a really high level on their own autonomously. They don't need me to hold their hand. So – if you start looking at it, the, the NFL, I think Sarks now, I think this is going to be his most versatile uh, personnel package season as a play caller, period. I think he'll, I think, I think he's hinting at it a little bit too. I think you'll I see, see where you're going with that. Yeah. Because yeah. I, I think for the most part, he in his career, I think he's been pretty rigid about what he wants in terms of personnel packages. Mm-hmm. You've talked about this yep. on Light the Tower. I've talked about it for years now. Uh, and and now you hear more people asking him about this too. Where, hey man, are you gonna start playing? You know those running backs, right? So I asked I asked Bijan about it, and Bijan said, "Oh, we're gonna play tons more two tailback sets." So Sark didn't want to give it to me, mm-hmm. but Bijan gave it to yeah. me. Bijan was like, "Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. oh yeah. man, we're gonna be we're gonna, oh, man, we're gonna be out. it's gonna be crazy." So Bijan gave it to me. You're gonna see more twenty-one and twenty personnel, two backs, one tight end, two back zero tight ends. I think you're gonna see ten. Because Texas wide receiver room is like top five in the country. Look at all the talent they're accumulating. Mm-hmm. And people don't forget about Jay Witt and Tariq Milton and Isaiah Hall and all mm-hmm. these other guys coming in. They're loaded in the wide receiver Sark room. Sark loves Brendan Thompson. 
He loves Brandon Thompson. And his time, when he does. He brings him up unsolicited. Yeah. Brought him up unsolicited at Big Tommy yeah. days. So we know when he was at Bama, when he had the four first-round wide receivers with Waddle and Judy and Devontae Smith and yeah. all these guys. I mean, he just, just loaded honey rugs, loaded. He would have the what he called the red package, which was just 10 personnel, four wide receivers, one back, zero tight ends. And then he would say, hey, you know what? F you, de- defensive coordinators. Figure out a way to stop my four first-round wide receivers, and nobody really could because who's got four DBs that can match up across board with those guys? He mm-hmm. could do that with Texas. He hinted at it in an interview with uh, uh, with us, actually, in our combo interview. And I heard that sound you played today on Light the Tower, uh, Jeff, and he actually hinted at it there, too. So he's talking about 10 personnel. I wouldn't doubt if you get more of that. And you look at, you know, bringing Brendan Marion into, with the go-go offense. That's why I know you're going to get more two tailback sets. He's going to take advantage of that with that West Coast passing game. And to me, he loves he loves 12. He's not going to go away from 12. He said tight end position is his most important position in his offense behind quarterback. He's not going to go away from it. 40% 12 personnel last year. You, I think half of your handouts, 50% of your handouts mm-hmm. in 2020 at Bama and in 2021 here at Texas were out of 12 personnel. He's going to run 12 personnel. Mm-hmm. He loves his tight ends. So just looking at it, and of course, 11 is most of the time he runs yep. 11 personnel. I just look at the versatility of the offense. I think you're going to get more versatility in personnel than you've ever seen from a, a Steve Sarkeesian offense just because I, I believe he thinks it's going to give him a true advantage. Yeah, yeah, and when you're talking about those packages and the NFL teams, a few things stuck out to me because first off, when talking about like the rigidity to 11 that we saw from somebody like McVay, we, when he would do anything else would be the times when they did have two tight ends to where he would go to 12 also yep. whenever they had Gerald Everett along with Higby, and then the way this year, once they got rid of Everett, Cup, the way he would motion in, reminded me a lot of the way Shipley was used at Texas, you know, with Jordan, but they would mm-hmm. engineer those mismatches True. all the time on the inside just because in you can have a facade mm-hmm. of one and be, you know, actually implementing it with the other, and then whenever you brought up Lafleur and the ability to run, and it's something that we saw the NFL do to adjust to these potent passing games, and we talked about Sark's inability to be successful against the three high safety look but like in the nfl if you remember back in certain begin like hell the beginning of this whole past year you would see teams like say kansas city really struggling but the one team that never did was somebody like aaron Rodgers and peyton manning during the manning cast would keep talking about this and he's like no he's like i was the one that understood that if they're giving me that two high safety if they're holding them back the running games are going to be my best friend, and we're going to run. And when a lot of people criticize Aaron Rodgers for being too conservative, if there is any flaw of his, would be he doesn't want to challenge the safeties. He'll take the pass underneath, or he'll check to the run and do that because he understands the concept of making the chains move. To in addition to him having his expertise, that he'll be able to bust something here or there. But like the Chiefs for the front half of the year were having issues because they were still trying to push limits whenever the defense was giving them something else and like and when you brought up I heard the some of the stats with the three safety look last week on the show and then mm-hmm. on your show in the afternoon ball don't lie and it really just reminded me of some of the struggles that you've seen some from some of the higher NFL passing attacks and the ones that are able to sort of you know dominate against those defenses it takes that sort of tortoise first the hair being patient understand the game's going to play out this way and mm-hmm. over the 80 point. play sample we're going to win, but it takes some maturity and patience for those quarterbacks to actually do it. Can we, can we, I, want, I want to keep digging on the offense, but can we go to the three safety thing real quick? Because Sark mm-hmm. mentioned this in media days, and Matt hit on something you just said. Sark was talking about, you know, and Rod, you've given the numbers how against those three safety looks, Barry Odom and uh, Jim Knowles did a little bit Even of back it. To at, uh, days. Yeah. He struggles. Yeah. yeah. No doubt. He mentioned 
he was going and the one the one bit that really caught my ear when he was talking about how Texas handles three defenses that use the three safety look is he said it, it's patience he said it's patience on me as a play caller and this is the one thing about the three safety look, and I think specifically about the way Iowa State's running. Now, that's going to be different because no more Greg Eisworth, no more Mike Rose. You're losing some really key pieces in that defense. The thing that makes the three safety defense so difficult is when they present that look, the look, the initial look invites you to run the football because mm-hmm. you're in a two-high shell. Like it invites you to run the football. You think, okay, we should be able to run the football. But if that third safety – that rover type player, whatever label he's got on your defense, the star, the bandit, the jack, whatever he is, yep. if you fit the run the way a guy like Greg Eisworth at Iowa State did mm-hmm. or what Dave Aranda did with Jalen Petrie at Baylor, now the numbers advantage is either even or you're losing the numbers advantage. You're like, how the hell are we not able to run the football? You're confused, it's you? because of the way the alignment is. It's supposed to lull you into that false sense of security. Oh, yeah, we can run the football, but the ability of that third safety, that third man to be able to fit the run – at that point, that Rod, it's almost like a quarterback who can ad lib after the play. It's like that if he's just that good at fitting the run. If you if you as a front are that good at fitting it, and he fits it right, you're going to be wrong, and that's just yeah. something you can't account for. Yeah, it's basically you know I, I I was talking about kind of the ecosystem of the Big Twelve and how you can kind of you can really predict and you can go back and research, um, you know how the Big Twelve has evolved and based on these systems and schemes that have kind of been creatively influenced by that evolution, right? So take the three high safety look, and Dave Aranda was talking about this. He went on forever about it. Guys, I got to talk ball, man. Oh, I love Dave Aranda. No coach speak at all. Dave Aranda doesn't have a coach speak bone <laughs> in his body. He just can't give it to you. The X's and O's just ooze out. Right, yeah. And I was doing the research about this because I'm trying to figure out how the hell Steve, you know, Steve Sarkeesian can get over this three high safety look. And it is something that has been specific to the Big 12 and unique to the Big 12 to the point where – you know, NFL teams came from far and wide to Ames, mm-hmm. Iowa, to skate the Big 12. Come to find out, Iowa, and by the way, Brent Venables also came from Clemson, Clemson to Ames to study it and actually tweaked his defense to use some of those same principles. So if you don't think that Steve Sarkeesian is going to see that three high versus Oklahoma, then you're crazy. If you don't think mm-hmm. he's going to see it versus Bama, just because Nick Saban's got some really veteran secondary guys and he knows the weaknesses of Steve Sarkeesian DB because coach. he was a head coach and he's a DB guy, then you're crazy. And of course you're going to see it versus Oklahoma State because they're not going to change much. Um, it turns out Jim knows if you go back and look at it, if you're doing just, just breaking down the history of the Big 12 and the ecosystem, the first time that that three high safety look is spotted. It is Jim Knowles. It was it was Oklahoma State. They did it what he called his cowboy dime mm. in 2016 versus West Virginia. Used a Muses nickel as a middle of the field safety. That that that's the that's the earliest that I could go back and track it in the Big Twelve. And then you see Iowa State essentially stealing some of that same concepts and using that. And whether maybe it was pyramids being built on continents, different continents at the same time. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe they weren't fools by not. But we know Todd Orlando stole his lightning package mm-hmm. from Iowa, Iowa State, State. Mm-hmm. which came up with constructively came up with their their eye, that three high safety look mm-hmm. because they were trying to defend Texas and Shane Bouchelle. Yeah. That was around 2017, 2017. when that happened. Mm-hmm. So you're kind of tracking it and when it goes and why these uh, these evolutionary adaptations are taking place. And essentially, I'll give Iowa State credit for popularizing it. But, hell, Oklahoma State's been running their own version of it, too, with Jim Knowles there uh, at times, especially against predictable passing situations. And for Steve Sarkeesian, it's going to be really interesting because Barry Odom also runs his version of it there mm-hmm. at Arkansas and embarrassed Steve Sarkeesian. 
Um, so I don't really know how Steve Sarkeesian plans on attacking it. I haven't really come up with it, but everybody's is unique. Like Jim knows is about cre- he's about organized chaos, mm-hmm. creative chaos. He believes that if I create enough chaos with blitzes and twists and stunts up front and movement with my presentation pre-snap, yep. I can play offense on defense. Essentially, mm-hmm. I can create an illusion where the truth is a lie you, to the quarterback. Where he believes you know that it's a, he's got the numbers advantage when he actually doesn't, and he believes chaos actually. Inevitably, when you when you just break it down over time, will ultimately work out for his defense yeah. because mm-hmm. offenses are built on what precision. Mm-hmm. They're built on execution, right? High level execution. They don't like chaos. Offenses yeah. hate chaos. No. Defenses love chaos. He embraces it. So his version of the three high is a chaotic one, but it's a little different than Iowa State. Iowa State is much more disciplined yes. and has much right. It has much mm-hmm. more integrity in it. Yeah. Hell, Oklahoma State is just organized chaos. <laughs> it is it, very Gundy. It is man, but it, it's it's. It works. It works. It's Jim knows, and it works really well. So everybody's a little bit different. I think that's what Steve Sarkis is trying to get wrap his brain around. And it's relatively new, and not a lot of teams do it. Yeah. And forever, quarterbacks have been taught what? How to read single high, mm-hmm. how to read two high. Yeah. Now we break it in three high. Uh-huh. Hell, Patrick Mahomes was even confused by it when mm-hmm. Tampa Bay and Todd Bowles broke it out on him in the Super, Super Bowl. Bowl. He know what the hell he was yeah. looking at to the point where they stole that from Bill Belichick, who went back and saw Patrick Mahomes' his worst game in college yeah. was against Iowa State. And to you know start the year. I'm taking that three high, and he ran it up with the Patriots. So it, it, it's trickling up and down all over the place. I yep. think it's, it's part of that, though, Rod, and this is me. I, I'm In my football theory, I always try to find, okay, what's kind of the simplest explanation for why this is happening? Try to eliminate the abstract, get down to the root of it. To me, I think a lot of it just goes back to it's changing because – Every when you look at different fronts, like everybody's running some kind of odd front with like an, an old, like a, a hybrid defender on the edge, or maybe mm-hmm. in the case of PK two hybrids. I think where the three safety look has changed. I think it's just in your five DB package and your nickel package. I think it basically just changes what you did. You change the the function of the nickel. In yeah, other the words, principles and the yeah. The in, screenshot. In, in other words, yep. in the old Big Twelve, where everybody's space and pace and spreading it out. You needed your nickel basically to function more like a corner. Line up on the slot, cover that. Uh, and as we've seen, we've kind of seen the evolution where it's your hybrid spreads. There, there was more of that. Okay, now he needed to really be a hybrid player, and now you almost want kind of th- almost like a throwback to where you've seen Bill Belichick, other coordinators do it, where they had like a big nickel. Big nickel. Basically, now you Dan want Quinn. a big nickel. Yeah, Dan Quinn's doing it with J. Run Curse. Yeah, that's his big nickel. Uh, Keanu Neal. Keanu Neal. He's yeah. doing, J. Run Curse is his big nickel. Yeah. Like they run, they run. The Cowboys actually run. Three safeties, two cornerbacks, 20% of the time. Yeah. And they run three safeties, three cornerbacks, and a dime 20% of the time. So 40% of the time, they're running with three safeties yeah. on the field. Yeah. Right? That's it. So, yeah, he loved, Dan Quinn loves that, but it's, it gives you versatility because the truth is, to, to getting back to your, your, your term that I think was perfect, the hybrid spread league that the Big 12 turned into, to counter it, you needed hybrid spread defenders, yep. which the Big 12 started stocking up on, right? We talk about Baylor, or you talk about Oklahoma State, or when you're talking about Iowa State. They are, the best defenses in the Big 12 all decided we got to go positionless football for the most part. We got to go hybrid spread defenders, whether it was Gundy who stopped uh, recruiting specific positions in the back seven, or whether it was Iowa State who went there more organically, or whether it was, hell, and Gary Patterson, let's give him credit, hell, he started this whole damn thing in the Big 12. He was doing it way before it was even popular or even necessary for the most part. GP just uh, did it with, uh, sorry, Robert, GP yeah. just did when you look at the four two five and how he kind of re- really that was the defense that he needed really kind of worked that way with TCU transition 
into the Big 12, the 425 was perfect. Yeah, but at the he time. was doing it because of the Mountain West Conference. He right. was doing it because he was matching up against spread. Yeah, it was all for Gary Patterson. It was all about speed on the back end. I need, I need, I need everybody's got to be able to. Much like Mike Gundy, right? It's like I don't have the scholarships to be just recruiting all the best defensives around the country. I got to get guys, yes, that I can mold and develop into great players. But the point is also now. So in addition to you personnel wise recruiting hybrid defenders, which the best minds in the Big 12 have already been doing. Glad Gary Patterson's on this staff now because Texas can also start getting into that that mindset. But also the concepts now in the schemes themselves with the three high safeties have made you malleable. And Dave Aranda got into this. He said, you want to know why the, the wide zone is trickling from the NFL down to college, especially in the Big 12? Because of the three high safety looks. You're going to take that outside wheel back or that outside edge defender and you're going to set move him back? That that slot corner or whatever yeah. you're going to be, yep. you're going to move that guy back as a middle field safety. Okay, well let's attack the edges. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> let's just let's go in the wide zone. Let's go. Yeah, exactly. And if you want, if you want a simple, a kind of a a simple motto about defense now, especially in the Big Twelve that I've watched, which I think is a a great kind of laboratory of, of football theory. Essentially, as a defensive mind, you got to figure out how do I defend. More space with fewer resources. Mm-hmm. That's, that's and that essentially just what John Heacock was trying yeah. to figure out. And that's when he was like, "I got to go this three high safety look." Mm-hmm. That's what Jim and Jim knows does it with chaos because he's like, "I can I can cancel out most of the field with just chaos alone." Yeah. This quarterback freaking out about mm-hmm. where the blitz is coming from and processing, overloading, processing way way too much information. What do I say about Sark's offense? It's just say it's an accumulation of gumbo and cheat codes overloading the central nervous system and the circuitry of the defense. That's all Jim knows is doing yeah. too. He's just doing it from the defensive side. Mm-hmm. Well, and when you go that way, I mean, there's multiple layers to it. So not only the implementation on the field, but the functionality. But then if you even think about the mental consumption that each player, because you're used to, like you said, going up against one high or two highs. And now the principles of what you're yep. used to facing is totally changed. And then the screenshot or whatever the picture you're seeing is you're unfamiliar with. So there's not only that infancy period that we always talk about when there's no film that there's going to be more success or when there's left less tendencies and trends mm-hmm. to learn upon, it's going to be just naturally, inherently tougher at the beginning to defend it. But then whenever you have to go and accurately identify it and it's the one or two things, it's like the way that you would talk about, uh, who knows if it's why Bill Belichick went after lefty pun- punters for a decade <laughs> to see a spin that's yeah. just a little bit different or exactly. those few things. Like, yep. yeah, there are certain NBA teams that have like – their second units, all left-handed ball handlers, and you're like, "What? What's going on?" But like, you see those indicators, like, "Oh wait, they're doing something," and it's breaking tendencies and molds. And just when you bring in a three-safety look like that to a kid in college, they, especially if you're coming up really familiar with all playing spreads all against mm-hmm. the same ones, that type of volatility is going to challenge inside the mind of each player to live instead of having a script go freestyle and figure yeah. it out. And that's tough if to the do. Three high safety is what the RPO essentially was for the offense. Yeah. The right. response. Yeah, and when you talk about like that third safety too. coming down the alley and it changes up all the numbers, it's the same thing that I remember watching that Packers 49ers regular season game and you had Rodgers and LaFleur talking to defenders on their sideline because Shanahan was using use check on one side, but he'd bring them in motion and have him plan to be blocking on the other side. Yep. So, like, it would totally distort mm-hmm. the numbers that the defense was using. And they're over there on the fly being, like, you know, making sure everybody understands what the responsibilities are going to be over there because, like, your quarterback knows what they're doing to you because you work within that same framework. It was yeah. really cool. I don't think we have enough time to get into the Texas defense this week, so we'll, we'll save that for for next week, but I want to continue with the Texas offense because 
It's it's fascinating conversation and mm-hmm. what we're talking about here because when you look at what we what we were talking about originally, right, which starts personnel groupings, mm-hmm. and to me, the ideal personnel grouping is how do I get the most bang for my buck, and how do I make myself as versatile as possible and as unpredictable as possible. Basically, oh, yeah. you, your ideal personnel grouping should be okay. On, on the scale, on my percentage scale, how much I want to use this, how much does this position group eliminate predictability? Like, I, not, not a great example, but just in terms of, like, not all skill sets are created equal. Uh, we're recording this on a Tuesday. So Monday night, instead of watching the home run derby, the 2009 Texas OU game was on LHN. Oh, nice. So I, I watched it. That's a good one. And the two guys on, on that Texas offense that you could see, they were specialty players at the time were Marquise Goodwin and D.J. Monroe. Mm-hmm. And D.J. Monroe did jump off sides on one of the plays he was on offense. But the Texas offense, even though D.J. Monroe, start. we agree, <laughs> world-class speed, speed, right? Speed demons, yeah. Just can, can eviscerate angles. Like, just you, you can't account for that speed. But the Texas offense was easy to defend because when D.J. Monroe's on the field, there's only one or two things you know they're going to do. And it's not vertical downfield. No. <laughs> it's going to be horizontal. As a matter of fact, I think the one play I saw from the game, I think they handed it to him on a jet sweep, and it was right around the line of scrimmage. Didn't Every time. Barely busted a grape. Every time. Marquise Goodwin, on the other hand, even as a freshman, as a true freshman, early in his career, you saw Marquise Goodwin line up out wide. You saw him in the slot. You saw him in mo- like So many different things they were doing with Marquise Goodwin. You can hand it off to Marquise, too. He's good with the ball. Yeah. Yeah. So it just shows you not all skill sets are created equal. And okay. I, to your point, Rod, about how versatile Sark can be with his personnel groupings, I agree with you because – you know, let's take the one guy you can leave out of the conversation when you talk about the primary weapons on this offense, and I'll get to the tight ends in a second, is Isaiah Nayer. Because mm-hmm. we kind of know what Isaiah Nayer is and what he does. But between Xavier Worthy, Jordan Whittington, Tariq Milton, Bijan Robinson, and Roshan Johnson, between those five guys, like, and yeah, Nayer's going to be a factor in there, and Ajay Hall's going to be a factor. We know Keelan Robinson's going to need X number of touches. But to me, those are your five kind of core guys Agreed. on this offense. Because think of, think about a 20 personnel look with those three guys as your wide receivers. How many different looks can you show with 20 personnel grouping with those five guys? The, uh, the options are infinite because the skill sets with those five guys are so versatile. As a defensive coordinator, Rod, I would have no clue on what's the first thing you're going to defend when that group's on the field. Hell, I don't know what what formation are they in. Yeah, no, it can go. Do, and and if they, and which depending on which one of those guys mm-hmm. motions, whether he's motion to the boundary or whatever, or they're in a uh you know a three by one look, and now he motions and it's doubles. Now now what am I doing? Like the combinations are endless in terms of how you can mess with a defensive coordinator with that specific personnel group. Yeah, the key to me, because I totally agree with you, and I I love the fact that you can manipulate more matchups that way. If if you're able to keep the defensive coordinator off, right, to keep them off task and to keep them guessing, then they'll throw in the wrong personnel grouping at one point. They're going to guess wrong. Yeah. All right, just because they're going to throw out – I don't know, maybe they'll throw out their, their nickel out there. When you do have, let's say you do go out there with that, was basically two two backs and three wide receivers. Mm-hmm. But Bijan is essentially he's, a, a I, wide receiver. I've said he's got the best the hands on the he's team. Deadly. Yeah. 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 So you can start out with two two tailbacks in the backfield, go two by one with your wide receivers, but then motion Bijan out to the slot, get him matched up on a linebacker mm-hmm. potentially or safety. If they put a safety on him, great. You know what? We may decide to check it, hand it off to Rojo. 
But then we got the numbers in the box. If they put somebody out there, you can just, I mean, you really can't yeah. you can just manipulate the defense in a number of ways. I, I'm with you. I don't, I don't, I, I think it'll be the most variety we've seen from a Sark offense since he's become a play caller and an OC. And it's because now he's just continuing to grow. Um, people are like, why didn't he use more two tailback sets at USC? I was like, well, I think he didn't, he, he dove into it deep once he had to follow Shano. Because I think he was looking for a way to transition at Atlanta offense, mm-hmm. and he thought to himself, "Well, I can't. I don't want a fullback out there. That's just not mm-hmm. my style." But yeah. you know what? I'll put Tevin Coleman and Devontae Freeman out there, two tailbacks. Let me look into that. And he did it because he's a West Coast guy, and the West Coast offense originally was a two-back offense, so it, it made sense for him. And I think now that's why he's willing to experiment with the more two tailbacks. Yeah, and I even this is the kind of stuff I rabbit hole when I'm at the house by myself, uh, waiting for my coffee to get ready in the morning. I actually pulled up some press conference quotes from when Sark was hired in Atlanta. It was basically Dan Quinn and Thomas Dimitrov. And by the way, it just kind of shows you like how football works, the, the ancestral nature of football. Mm-hmm. Like Thomas Dimitrov is from that kind of Belichick yeah, tree. Yeah, and, executive tree. Yeah, and then Dan Quinn had the relationship with Pete Carroll. And then there's the Sark tie-in and the Sark work for Saban and Dimitrov. And it's all just really weird how basically in football, everything either goes back to the Bill Walsh coaching tree or the Bill Parcells coaching tree. By Every, the way. All those guys been highly successful. We all know they. All those guys know ball didn't work because yeah. yeah. chemistry also matters. Yeah, right. And, and the hierarchy where you got right there at Sark. Sark's yeah. great football by yeah. Dan Quinn. Everybody Dan Quinn looking hired as a head coach in the next couple of years. And we talked about Dimitrov. Dimitrov's widely respected, and yet mm-hmm. that didn't work. Yeah, football yeah. is a. It's a Not only is there like right. you have the team, looking, the, yeah. the roster, the team, the coaches, the front office, and the organization. But looking at Dan Quinn's rationale to your point, Rod, and it, it's something that I asked Sark about at a coaching school last year. Uh, when we, because I kind of, I threw you a bone because I knew you want to know about it. I was like, oh, I'll talk about it at Coach School's mm, press conference about that. the two tailback offense. Mm-hmm. And he basically said, and Dan Quinn, he basically Sark said what Dan Quinn said when Sark was hired. He's like, look, we didn't want to reinvent the wheel on offense. We liked what we were doing. He's Dan Quinn said, I just wanted to hire a play caller that could kind of take the framework of the offense at that point in Atlanta. Yeah. And basically, with what we have, can you put your own spin on it? He felt like Sark was. Was malleable enough to do yeah, that. That's nice. It's the best offense in the NFL. Why would why would, why would you change it? Which speaking of which, that's kind of what Nick Saban's <laughs> done in Alabama, right? Like with Lane, whether it's been Lane Kiffin or Brian Dayball or Sark or now Bill O'Brien, the Alabama offense really hasn't changed. It's like here's no. here's the framework of what I want. That's true. You within what we've got, put your own spin on it. But this is these are the parameters, these are the yeah. pillars of what I want to. Nick Saban saying what I want to be on offense. Was it Lane Kiffin that yeah. basically changed this? Yeah, they were the two uh-huh. quarterback coaches yeah. at USC together, Kiffin, and they Kiffin was the one that, that really flipped them. Mm-hmm. That's, that's interesting. Yeah, so and all of those guys are different. Like, yeah, they are all different. Kiffin's different from Sark in terms. Of, I think Kiffin values not values, but Kiffin. Utilizes tempo a lot more. Yeah, he's than Sark does. all in and on then the analytics side. Brian Dayball is different from Sark, and yep. then Bill O'Brien is different from Brian Dayball. Oh, he's so <laughs> different than everybody. Bill O'Brien. I, that's why I did not see. I, I thought. I thought. I thought. I thought he would try to move on from Bill O'Brien this off season. I'm kinda, surprised yeah. that yeah Nick Saban decided to keep him, but Nick Saban knows better than me. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but no, I. I but I think the group that's going to tie it all together, Rod, is the tight ends. And we've heard Sark say it time and again, other than quarterback, tight end is the most important position in his offense. People don't believe him. But I, I'll go back to last year, and I, I know I'm going to sound like a broken record, but, man, I, I think if you're a Texas fan, if you want to know kind of both sides of the Sark offense, the the really, really good and the stuff that makes you question, okay, this is where stuff's got to get fixed, 
Let's go back and watch the Oklahoma game last year. Like The Oklahoma game to me is the perfect game because when Texas tried to line up in 12 personnel and run the football, when they got predictable, they didn't have the they, they didn't have the horses up front to be able to do it. Yeah, and again, Oklahoma was just gambling at that point because they were up against it. But I went back and looked at the tight end numbers. I pulled the tight end numbers uh, just in terms of the explosiveness, the ability to throw the ball out of twelve personnel. Texas should have this year that they didn't oh, have last year. year. Yeah. Uh, last year, Cade Brewer averaged up the target four point eight yards yards after the catch per reception five yards. Jared Wiley averaged up the target 3.3 yards, yards after the catch per reception, 4.8. You go to Jaleel Billingsley at Alabama with Sark in 2020. Mm-hmm. Averaged up the target 9.7 yards. Yeah. Yep. Yards after the catch per reception, 6.8. You go to Jaleel Billingsley last year at Bama, yards after the catch per reception dropped to 4.4, but his average depth of target was up to 10.5. Mm-hmm. So, You've got a guy, and and I go back to Billingsley's usage, how diverse he was with Sark in 2020 in, his, in terms of his snap counts, 86 as as what pro football focus would classify. By the way, I'm getting all this data from PFF and uh, piecing it out. Uh, according to PFF snap counts for Jaleel Billingsley in 2020, 86 as an inline tight end, 23 out wide, 66 snaps in the slot. Add um, a layer to that on those Billingsley stats from that year. Go for it. Whenever you had 2020, you know, talking about 9.7 yard ADOT, when he was targeted on passes 10 plus yards down the field between 10 and 20, 9 for 10, 195 yards, a touchdown and nine first downs, and then 20 plus yards was two for two, 36 yards, two touchdowns. So on the 12 attempts, 11 completions all 11 for first downs and three touchdowns and basically a perfect NFL rating. And Sark mm-hmm. even said Sark said at media days he was asked he's about He's a guy running wide open on the back Yeah, because you got so many other things to worry about. Like, I forgot together. about that dude. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, and 11 Tied personnel. In 11 personnel if if you're Alabama that year in 20, mm-hmm. if the other weapons on the field are who would it be? John Mechie, Devontae Smith, mm-hmm. Jalen Waddle when he was healthy and Najee Harris. Yeah. I'm probably going to take my chances with Jaleel Billingsley being Left the lesser of all evils. Don't have enough resources to defend on that. Um, yep. And that's that's kind of what we're getting to, Rod. I think you just hit the, the nail on the head. I think for Sark, mm-hmm. just make a defensive coordinator. I go back to the Todd Orlando theory, and people can say what they want about Todd Orlando, but I do think he had some good ideas defensively yeah, these and one was make make the de- Sark's goal should be make the defensive coordinator go so the, all right who who gets after this week pie drop your percentage all right uh you know you're not gonna have much help this week we got to devote our resources here and here so you guys are kind of on your own this week yeah buckle up basically if you're a de- the defensive coordinator you're gonna have to roll the dice pretty much like you said uh play to play as a defensive coordinator, and go, all right, what am I taking away? I'll just I'll hope that they're going to run it and try. That's why, getting back to your point, the unpredictability factor or breaking tendency is going to be really crucial for Steve Sharkeesian in yes. play calling because one of the only things that really can limit this offense, other than the offensive line and their lack of depth and development, we haven't talked about that, but, yeah, that, all this football theory we're discussing can, be, can implode on itself if the offensive line doesn't play at a reasonably high level or a competent level. Uh, but, yes, yeah, Sark making sure he's unpredictable because if you're able to just be a kind of a great riverboat gambler as a defensive coordinator 
and not what do you say? Don't don't play the don't play the hand, play the man. Mm-hmm. And you're playing Sark instead of playing the instead of trying to defend all of his weapons and all of the great skill talent Texas has. Just say, you know what? Screw it. I'm gonna attack those offensive linemen because I know they're bad. Yeah. I'm gonna go after them. I'm gonna devote all my resources to just destroying the O line, and then I'm gonna play the man because Sark has payoff. tendencies. Sark's got tendencies. We've all noticed mm-hmm. him. I've noticed him. I've been breaking him down for you for the last two years. He's got tendencies. And if you can just say, play the play the man instead of the hand, maybe you can beat him. That's what the three their three high safety look seems to do. Yep. You know what I mean? Like there are certain yeah. tendencies that I think he's got to either break or overcome to become a great head coach. Right now, he's an awesome play caller and a you know a great offensive mind. Um, but I don't know if he's an elite offensive mind because, like I said, I can throw out a lot of examples where against elite defensive coordinators and play callers, he doesn't show up unless he's got Alabama's exactly. greatest talent of all time. He's like, okay, well, yeah, I mean, Jeff Howe can call some plays there and be <laughs> top 10. You know what I mean? You're giving me too much credit. I'm not. Yeah, uh, you know, talk about breaking <laughs> tendencies real quick and talk, looking at the the way that this, these players may be used. Jeff brought up, you know, Billingsley being a guy and where he had lined up at different positions. And mm-hmm. we're talking about if there can be some interchangeable aspect. If you go to, like, say, 20, because we always talk about it from 11 and then be able to uh, move each player from position to the position. Last year, we didn't see it very much with moving wide receivers to the backfield or to tight end. But the only two players on the team that did have any snaps – at both of them as a wide receiver was Worthy and Whittington. Both did it. Maybe yeah. when you see these small amount of snaps in random games, they do it once here or there. It maybe means that they do have a play or a thing in there. They just haven't been able to run that group or use that. But I think a guy like Marion coming in yeah. and being like, oh, yeah, y'all maybe tested on it with some trick plays or certain scenarios, but really could be fueled to where it is not going to be a tendency. Nobody's going to have that on film. Nobody's going to see that when they go and break down Stark's tendencies. Like, oh, yeah, he only lined up there in this game once and this game once. Those aren't going to be the trends, so that could be a way that they could break tendencies. Yeah. Hey, Rod, real quick while we got time, I heard you and Harge talking about this on Ball Don't Lie in regards to Jordan Whittington. Mm-hmm. And I've run this by a couple people, including a couple people that really know Jordan Whittington, some sources from that part of the state that followed his high school career yeah. pretty closely. Um, I, a lot of people agree with your theory that maybe some of the injury issues he's dealing with Maybe he just got too big and just kind of physically just wound too tight. He was right. Yeah, I mean, you see, he was impressive. Now he's an impressive. Oh specimen. yeah, oh yeah, unbelievable. But yeah, as a football player, muscle man, hamster. Yeah, I wondered about the flexibility. So I, I love the fact that now he's saying he's devoting like hours to like you know, his good. body and different things. Yeah, and warming up and stretching. Sounds like an old man, but I think now he's dealt with those injuries and understands. Man, I need to be more flexible. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, I may need to devote an hour more to warm down. Yeah, after practice, when other guys just leave and go to the dorm, it's mm-hmm. like no, I can't do that. So you got to know your body. But yeah, I remember him being really swole. And that's why I kind of like – I like some of my football players to remain loose, whether you're mm-hmm. talking about their hips or whether you're talking about – even quarterbacks, whether you're talking about their arms, mm-hmm. specific body uh, – parts of the body with certain positions. Oh, yeah. You do want to make sure they keep a lot of flexibility. And I think for – for Get a wide receiver, yeah, I think like your your lower extremities, man, you want to be really flexible. We talked about that. Uh, hit and flap off. We talked. Yeah, we right. talked about that with Jonathan Gray. Jonathan Gray was one of those guys he that was. I felt like after the like post Achilles, he just got too too like. And granted, you see Jay Gray walking through the lobby with a shirt off. You're like, dude, that dude chiseled like a Greek god, yeah. but I just thought he got too big. Yeah, the without the flexibility. You can get big, but I always said Bijan loves yoga, right? Mm-hmm. Like, oh, Bijan loves yoga. Him and Ricky, they talk mm-hmm. about yoga all the time. 
I think, honestly, I'm not joking. I think that's one of the reasons he survived some injuries yeah. that we saw. Scorpion. We, were like, we wondered how he walked away from him. Yeah. He's just, okay, let me ask you real quick because you know NFL yeah. personnel better than I do. Is that is that what's helped, like, take a guy like D.K. Metcalf? Because I heard that about D.K. Metcalf. That was one of the oh, knocks on him coming out of the too? draft. Well, but everyone's like, well, he's he's just built oh, too, too big. Rock, he's oh, too muscular. Rock, so but, he's a track guy. But yeah. knock on wood, yeah, I haven't heard I haven't heard of throughout his career about D.K. Metcalf having just a litany of, like, Hamstring or quad no, he just or was an offensive yeah. lineman, son. You're right. He's just big, big. He is everything. big, but he's a track guy yeah. in track, as you guys know. Hell, mm-hmm. tra- half the damn time in track, you just stretch it. Yeah, 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 for <laughs> I sure. I mean, the whole, it really is a, it's a big part of his for people flexibility. Assume that, but he, you don't, yeah. you know, behind so I, closed I, doors. I, if somebody wants to get big, I'll say you can get big, but I need you also to get into yoga. Maintain. DK Metcalf, same. don't be David Boston. Oh, yes. David Boston. He was a beefsteak. Those arms. Humble, humble. The only guy bigger man. than Anquan Bolden at yeah, his age. Yeah, dude, he was too swole. Yes. Wow. I don't, need my, rece- don't need my receivers to be 250 pounds. Right. I don't know how big David Boston that was got. Like, oh, Taylor, Taylor Mays was that guy as a safety. <laughs> he was like two, two, at least 220. I'll say 220, 230. Yep. All right. Yeah. Nice David Boston reference. That's that how we're in the show David this Boston week. Uh, Matt, thanks for everything, man. More than welcome. Rod B., appreciate the time and the knowledge. Anytime, brother. Anytime. For Matt, for Rod, for everybody at the Austin Radio Network and the Horn, 1049 1019 AM twelve sixty, streaming on that Horn app and at hornfm.com where you can get Rod B and Mike Harge each and every weekday on Ball Don't Live from three to seven. You can also get myself and Craig White each and every weekday on Light the Tower from ten to noon. And thanks to Matt, you can get all of our archives. Our classic interviews and shows are available on the Longhorn Blitz SoundCloud page. Yep, just type in Longhorn Blitz. Search Horns 24-7 anywhere you get your podcast. That's Horns 247, no dashes, no slashes, no spaces. Click that follow button. Get every episode of Longhorn Blitz when it drops on Tuesdays. And don't forget to leave us a five-star review. For the Horn family, for the Horns 24-7 family, I'm Jeff Howe. Thank you so much for downloading and listening, and we will catch you again on the next episode. You've been listening to Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com. Remember, for the latest Longhorn news 24-7, visit Horns247.com.